scripture reading be taken from Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. I'll be reading from the New King James. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to Him. A proud look, a lying tongue, heads, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked plans, feet that are swift to run to evil, a, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows Discord among the brethren. You may be seated. <clears throat> Beautiful Lord's Day, and we're very grateful that we have the privilege of being together. And I'm so happy that we can share this beautiful day and share it in a, a way that is fitting and proper by worshiping God. Thank you for the beautiful songs that we've had today, and your participation in that has just been so encouraging and so uplifting. And I wish everyone who's listening, uh, by means of the Internet, could be here and participate in that wonderful singing. I know that's not always possible for everyone, but at the same time, I'm always very grateful for you who are listening and following along, and for you who are worshiping in such a fine way, such a sincere way. You and I have been talking about some real difficult issues last several times we've been together. We focused our time and our attention on the fourth chapter of the book of James, and it's quite a powerful passage of Scripture, that fourth chapter, worldliness and the problems of it, and then the need to live it in our everyday life and how important that really is. So I follow that up with what I believe is one of the most insidious problems that we will face, and that is the sin of pride. And again, I'm right there with you. I need all the help I can get in overcoming the difficulty of attitude and the difficulty of arrogance and ego that I will be pleasing in the sight of God, not thinking so much about myself as I am thinking about the Lord and others. It's the problem that uh, Herod had. Acts chapter 12, he died because of it. It's the problem that Nebuchadnezzar had. Daniel chapter 4, he was removed from the realm of men. I'm going to read that in just a moment. It is the problem that we all have. We are filled with pride, aren't we? We're proud of our possessions. Uh, we're proud of who we are. We're proud of our race. We're proud of our family. We're proud of our nation. And so it can become quite an ordeal whereby we fill ourselves with pride over and over again. Little boys in Sunday school class one time, Sunday school teacher was teaching about um, the rich man and his bar and his uh, the poor man, the Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisee really is what I'm trying to say, and the one that said, you know, Lord, I'm so happy I'm not like this publican. And then the little boy spoke up and said, Lord, I'm so happy I'm not like that Pharisee. You know, we can become filled with pride if we're not careful. Uh, pride engulfs us all at one time or another. We uh, can sometimes be filled with such pride that we forget the fact man was given a medal for being so humble but yet they had to take it away from him because he wore it every day. Uh, pride really t 
takes a hold of us. And so the development of the morning hour is this matter of pride and how we're going to overcome it. And I hope that we'll be able to study what the Bible has to say, apply it to ourselves properly, and leave the portals of this building more dedicated and more faithful to living the Christian life than when we came in. One of the first things that we need to do is designate what we mean by pride. And this is always an important point for me. I want you and I want to understand what the Bible means by that word. Uh, You have your idea about it and I have my idea about it. And it really bothers me just a little bit, if I may take a sidestep here, when preachers get up and they talk about words and they presuppose that I understand what they mean. Uh, Let's be sure that we both are on the same page here. And the way to understand pride is how does the Bible define pride? And the Bible defines pride in two ways. There's a good sense about pride. There's a bad sense about pride. So we'll begin our study in that particular way. There's a good sense in which uh, we are to have pride. Matthew chapter 22 and 39, it says, um, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You see, there's a sense in which I am to love myself. I love my neighbor as I love myself. And it's a sad thing when a person doesn't love themselves. Uh, The Bible says that we should have self-respect. We should have esteem. We should have a good feeling about ourselves. We should respect ourselves and love ourselves. Romans chapter 12 has always been one of my favorite passages along this line. And it's found for us in verse 2. Therefore, be sober-minded that we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Now, there again is a point that Paul is making. You should have a high estimation of yourself. But his point in the passage, I'm in Romans 12 and 2, and that is don't think too highly of yourself. You shouldn't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. You ought to think highly of yourself. You ought to have self-respect. You ought to have self-esteem. You ought to have a dignity about yourself. And when a person doesn't have that, when a person doesn't have the self-esteem and the respect for themselves as the Bible teaches that they ought to, then that's a sad situation and can lead to serious consequences. And one really needs to understand that there's a good sense in which the Bible uses the word pride. You go down the street and you say, now those people take a lot of pride in their house or they take a lot of pride in their yard. They really keep it clean and neat and groomed well. Or they're really proud of their car in that they keep their car clean and washed and and in good running order and condition. There's a good sense in which the Bible uses the word pride. We shouldn't forget it. But there's also a bad sense in which the Bible uses the word pride, and that's my focus for the moment. And that bad sense is a bad sense whereby I'm filled with conceit. I'm filled with self-centeredness. I think that I'm the one that's the most important one and that the world somehow revolves around me. Funny story was told about the woodpecker one time. Just about ready to strike the tree with his beak when all of a sudden a cloud came up and a bolt of lightning hit that tree and struck it right down through to the ground. The woodpecker thought he was the one that did that. Filled with conceit, we're something like that particular animal, that creature, We feel like it's all in us and all about us. And we are to keep our head high. We are to keep our chin up. But we never are so proud that we can't bend our knees and therefore pray before God Almighty 
recognizing how great he is and how insignificant we really are. So the sin of pride needs to be carefully studied. And the sin of pride needs to be studied from the standpoint of what does the Bible say about it? Now, you can read a lot of self-help books, and a lot of them are good, and I'm sure that there's a lot of things that can be learned psychologically from these particular matters, but the best self-help book in all the world is your Bible. And to that Bible, I turn today to study about the sin of pride, and is there something out there that can help me overcome it? The first thing that I need to get a hold of is the fact that pride in the bad sense is a sin. And that's the point that we read this morning out of Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. And you ought to mark that in the pages of your Bible. Rehearsing that again, not to spend a lot of time with it, but I want to emphasize the point. There are six things that the Lord hates. Now that ought to get my attention right off the bat. Now God hates all sin, but when he catalogs them, and you can see that a number of times in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, where God sort of marshals these sins together. He catalogs these sins. We ought to pay particular attention to the matter, and that's where I'm at in Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 16. Seven things are an abomination unto him. If I notice the context very carefully, he's saying in that instance that the six are leading up to the seventh. And if we looked at the context carefully, we'd have gone back up there to verse 13 on down through verse 15, which really is a repeat of what I have here. But in this paragraph, it seems to be so plainly put. So we make emphasis for the same here. Verse 17, haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breaches, who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. It does seem to me that he's building up to that seventh sin. Six sins God hates, seven are an abomination. Powerful words, hate, abomination. Now God hates all sin. Let there be no discrepancy about that particular matter. God hates it all. But when he catalogs it like this, when he says, I hate this, this is an abomination to me, then I need to give special consideration and forethought to it so that I can understand it and I can get it out of my life. And what I'm saying to you, I'm right in there with you. I need this just as much as anybody here in this auditorium. Everybody does. The sin of pride. He says in chapter 21 of this book, Proverbs, verse 4, that God hates a high look and a proud heart. God hates all these sins. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at about verse 5. This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So by the nature of God, I come to understand why God would hate such a sin. He continues in verse 15. Do not love the world. Now we've been studying that out of James chapter 4. Do not love the world or the things of the world. 1 John 2 verse 15. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 
Now, you don't need me to help you understand that Bible passage. It's plain enough. It's simply saying that we should not have the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life. Pride of life is couched right within that. If I may, I'm going to take just a moment to discuss those three points that came out of 1 John chapter 2, and I'm looking at verse 16 now. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. Now, it seems to me that when you're young and when you're growing and you're maturing, that's the one you better watch out for, the desires of the flesh. You're inexperienced. Oh, you think you understand it. You're inexperienced. You really haven't lived life, haven't lived it very long. Listen to wise advice of mother and father because what's coming toward you is the temptations of the desires of the flesh when you're young. Now, when you're older and you're more mature, you have your own family and you've been working and accumulating, there comes the desires of the eyes before us. We see it and we want it. That's the thing to watch out for. Later in life, as we're more mature, wherever our families were working, watch out for this one, the lust of the eyes. Because now I'm focused on that thing. Now I want that thing, and that's the desire. You see, that's the worldliness we were talking about out of James chapter 4. But then as we get older, and we've accomplished, we've accumulated, we have our families, we have our children, we have our grandchildren. Don't think we're exempt from that. Now he says, you better watch out for the pride of life. Because now I've got my thumbs in my lapel and I'm saying, look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Look how important I am. Look the respect that people, better watch out for the pride of life. Because the fellow who fills his heart and his mind with that kind of pride, the bad kind of pride, is not going to be pleasing in the sight of God. How do I overcome it? The first point of development today, it is a sin. And we've got to come to understand it just exactly for what it is. Eve faced it. In the garden, God had told her, do not eat of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. He came to her and he said, you see this beautiful fruit, isn't it luscious, beautiful to look upon? It makes you wise. You can be like God. And she wanted it. Pride of life. And she ate it. And she gave. And her husband partook of it. Someone asked me one time, well, where's her husband? He's standing right beside her. He's just as guilty as she is, as she was. Satan now managed to get sin into the world, a beautiful garden which God had prepared for man, everything that he needed. And now because of pride, sin is passed upon all men, for that all of sin, Romans chapter 5. Jesus, tempted by Satan, Devil takes him up into a mountaintop, very high, looks upon all the nations of the world and the glory of them. He said, now, all of these will I give you if you bow down and worship me. 
And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Don't you know what the Bible says? You shall worship God and him only will you serve. Eve failed. Jesus succeeded. Jesus' heart was not filled with pride. Now, if I had been given that kind of temptation, it might have been a great temptation for me to say, yes, believe I'll take that. I'll take all the nations of the earth, and there in turn I'll be responsible for you. How many times have we sold ourselves out so cheaply with regard to Satan and his temptation? Many times as a result of pride. But you know, let's not talk about this in the abstract. And that's another issue I have with preachers sometimes. They just talk about great principles and that kind of thing in abstract form. Sometimes we really don't get to point unless we see it personified and exemplified in the lives of other people. Now, when I can see it in your life, it's a whole lot easier for me to understand it. So let's do that. We're going to study this matter of pride and see how it demonstrates itself in the lives of people. I picked out a few from the pages of the Old Testament and some from the pages of the New Testament. Not to be mindful of the time, of course, but I'll do my very best to be as succinct as I can. Some of these passages I want to read for you. A lot of times I will summarize or sometimes I'll just paraphrase or that kind of thing because of the time. But these passages I want to read and we want to take the time to do it. And this passage that I have in mind as an example of a man whose heart was filled with pride started out so well. King Uzziah, found in Second Chronicles chapter 26. The Bible passage will begin in the very beginning of that particular passage. Because we're not familiar with Uzziah, we're not familiar with this portion of the Bible, I want to read just a bit of it. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, verse 1, made him king in the place of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. He did right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He committed to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. The rest of this chapter now begins to talk about how God prospered him. And as Uzziah grew, a good king, following the direction of the prophet, following the direction of the priest, God blesses and blesses and blesses. But then you come to chapter 26, verse 16. But when he became strong, Uzziah, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered the temple of the Lord and burned incense on the altar of incense. So now I'll paraphrase just a little bit. The priest came up to him and said, what are you doing? You don't have any right to offer incense in the temple. That's a job that God has designated for the priest. And Uzziah became very mad because he's the king, and his heart is filled with pride. And immediately leprosy struck him. 
And God struck him with leprosy for the rest of his life. And Isaiah had to live in his own quarters, in his own house, away from the throne and away from the palace because he was a leper. And that's what happens to lepers in the Old Testament. They're excluded from society. Started out great, 16 years old, did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Oh, he followed the teaching of the Word of God. God prospered him. But he and it brought him down. That kind of pride is a sin. And that kind of pride will destroy us. And that's why it's a concern for me and it's a concern for you. Of all the stories of a man whose heart was filled with pride, I think Nebuchadnezzar tops the list. I mean, Daniel chapter 4. By the time you get to this portion of Daniel, you're in a different language. It's Aramaic. And in this particular instance, Nebuchadnezzar steps out on the porch. And he conveys a great, powerful nation. Oh, look what I've done. Babylon, look how great Babylon really is. I'm in Daniel 4. And I'm going to read a couple of verses here out of beginning at verse 28. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later... He was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, To you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestow it on whomever he wishes. You ought to mark that. God rules in the kingdoms of men today and he bestows this authority on those upon whom he wills. It's God's authority. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind, began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. What drove him to that? Well, that was back there, verse 28. Filled with pride. Oh, look what I've done. I built such a great city. Everything here is the result of my work. I've got my thumbs and my lapels. Look what a great man I am, and God took it all away from him because of the sin of pride. Well, the rest of that story you read, you'll find that he was restored when he recognized who truly was king of the world, and that was God Almighty. That came to us from Daniel chapter 4. Interesting reading, serious uh, study from the pages of God's Word. I'm looking at a New Testament passage now, and the passage that I have in mind is Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, though I won't take the time to read it specifically, but to paraphrase, beginning at about verse 24. There was a contention among the disciples that night. They're gathered around the table. 
And there, each one of them was glaring at each other, wondering who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. In fact, a couple of disciples, their mother came to Jesus and said, who will reign on your right hand and on your left hand? Let my children, my sons, reign on one side of you and the other on the other side of you. Pride, filled with pride. And as you read Luke chapter 22, 24, on down through that, Jesus gives them an example of humility, and he gives them an example to imitate for the rest of their lives. And basically, as you read that portion in that paragraph, and I'll leave that to you, he's saying this idea of being filled with pride, being the ladder climber, and being the one who wants more and more is really a pagan idea. Now read that paragraph. It's a pagan idea, and it's not going to be a part of the kingdom of God. He's making it very clear that pride and selfish ambition has no place in the church of the living God. The sin of pride, and how do I overcome it? It needs to be clearly focused in my life and in my heart. Jesus would take a towel and a basin of water. John would say he girded on the towel, and he began to wash their feet. There was no one there to perform the oriental custom of the day, which was to wash a guest's feet. And they're glaring at each other. Nobody, I'm not going to wash your feet. And this one says, I'm not going to wash your feet. And in turn, Jesus takes a, ba a basin of water. And the text says he girded on the towel. And with a basin of water girding on the towel, he began to wash the apostles' feet. And Peter said, no, don't wash my feet. And he said, if I don't wash your feet, you're not a part of me. And Peter said, then wash me all over. He gives them a lesson in humility. It's an object lesson, service in the kingdom of God. Who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God? It's the one who serves rather than the one who is served. That is a lesson on humility. That is an important lesson that each and every one of us need. It's a sad thing that denominationalists will take that and make some kind of church ceremony out of that, some kind of ritual or rite out of that, which has absolutely nothing to do with the context of the passage. Jesus was teaching a lesson on being humble and being eliminating the pride out of our lives. Yet we miss the point when we do something like that. A meaningless ritual, sir? No. It was an object lesson to teach us how important humility really is. And I'd love to talk to you about Herod, Acts chapter 12. Oh, he gave a speech that day. Then in Acts chapter 12, the people said, what a great speech, what a great speech. It's the words of a God. God struck him dead. He would not renounce that particular accolade, and so doing, because of his pride, he in turn lost, lost his life. The sin of pride permeates lives. We've got to overcome it. We've got to marshal our emotions, our attitudes, control them, so that I realize I'm not the most important person here. There are other people here that need me, and I need them, and it all doesn't revolve around me. You know, in the book of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, he comes to about verse 6, and he emphasizes an important point there. He's talking about qualification of elders. 
And he says, now, do not appoint a man who's a novice. When you're talking about elders, they must meet divine qualifications. And you know the qualifications there, and sometimes we spend specific time discussing them and explaining them. But if there's one, though, this one in verse 6, don't appoint a novice. Because if you appoint a novice, it could be that his heart will be filled with pride, that he'll face the same kind of temptation as the devil, which gives us some insight into the origin of that creature. But at the same time, he says, do not put that temptation before the individual. You appoint a man who's mature. You appoint a man who's spiritually mature, who's lived life and knows how to apply biblical principles to life situations. That's who you appoint. In Matthew chapter 18, there's a passage there in about verse 3. Matthew chapter 18, they're fussing again. I could pick out a number of Bible passages with regard to the contentious, ambitious nature of these apostles as they begin to follow Jesus. But he says, now accept you be converted and be like one of these little children. You shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You see, pride was keeping them out. Pride was their problem. You've got to be converted. The word converted there means to change. You need to change your attitude. You need to change your heart. It can't be a heart that is filled with pride. But it needs to be the kind of heart that in turn would be obedient to the will of God. Now that's the problem right there. A lot of times the problem is this man will not repent. This woman will not change. The reason she will not change is because of the son of pride. And pride has filled their heart, whereby if they were convicted in heart and mind as to what the Bible has to say, they'd repent of their sin. They would say, I'm sorry, I did what I did. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that again. I repent. I ask for God's forgiveness in prayer. I ask for your forgiveness as I've committed sin against you. But pride prevents them from doing it. In 1 John chapter 1, the verse is about verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. Well, what John is telling us there in that regard is simply the fact that we've got to be humble enough to admit our mistakes and repent of them. And sometimes that particular matter means coming forward. Sometimes it does not. Sometimes it simply means that I need to ask God's forgiveness or that I need to go to you and I say, look, I'm sorry what I did. I repent. I don't know why I did it, but I am very sorry. I was wrong and I'm making it right now. Sometimes it's just between you and me. Sometimes it's before the entire congregation as a public matter. Sometimes it's just between me and God because I said the wrong thing, I did the wrong thing, I thought the wrong thing, and now I need to repent. I need the cleansing blood of Christ, and I can be the beneficiary of that if I will but repent of my sins. And it's hard to get people to do that. You know how I know that? Because it's hard for me to do it. I have to repent of sin, and I have to feel the sorrow of sin, but simply the sorrow of sin is not enough. I've got to change. 
and it's a matter of me changing for what is right. Change is hard. I can convince people to be baptized. I can take a Bible. If they have an honest, open heart, I can teach them to be baptized. But it'll take the rest of their life to live the Christian life and be the kind of person that God really wants them to be. And I must work on that every single day. And I tell you what, sometimes I make a mess of things, but I can repent of my sins. And what a wonderful thing it is to receive forgiveness. Lord, please forgive me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I'm praying for forgiveness. And then you can forget it. Because Jesus, through God, makes forgiveness possible. God's going to forgive you because of the sin, because of your repenting, because of the blood, because of the grace. I want to spend just a few moments this morning talking about the sin of pride and looking at it from its different forms. Sometimes it takes this aspect. It looks like this. Sometimes it looks like that. And I want to make sure I understand it as best I possibly can. Sometimes people will have what might be called spiritual pride. Spiritual. And I see the Pharisees and Sadducees as being that way. Being filled with uh, history and background. Filled with a lot of pride with regard to their Jewish ways. They in turn would not accept the truth that Jesus was teaching They were filled with pride, filled with what they needed was to repent of their sins and do just exactly as John had taught them to do, repent. But they wouldn't do that. They were filled with pride. The baptism of John, which came it, from heaven or from men? They said, well, now, if we say it came from heaven, then he's going to ask us, why didn't we obey it? They should have repented of the sins and obeyed the baptism of John. But they wouldn't do it. They were filled with pride. That is spiritual pride about them. And that can be a problem with some people. Sometimes they're so filled with such spiritual pride that they in turn forget we're sinners and we need God's grace and we need, God, we need God's forgiveness based on our obedient faith to God and his divine will. And one of the things that bothers me sometimes, and I've seen it in different people, I try my very best not to be like this, an intellectual type of pride. Paul referenced the matter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Sometimes young people filled with pride, they think they know more than mom and dad. And they come up and they kind of, I don't know if you ever raised kids or not like we did kids and grandkids, but you get that point where they roll their eyes back in their head, and you tell them that you shouldn't be doing this, this is what should be done, this is what not should be done, and they got to look in their eye, they kind of roll their eye, and don't roll your eyes back in your head when I'm telling you about this particular matter. It's a kind of intellectual pride. Go to school, you see professors that have an intellectual pride about them, people who come out of school get the idea, well, I'm, I'm arrived now. I really know everything I need to know. And I'm the guy that's the answer man, and I can tell everybody all the answers to their questions. It's an intellectual kind of pride. Paul's emphasizing that, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. And it is a pride that we need to avoid. There's a pride about materialism. Sometimes it manifests itself that way. I'm proud of this. Look what I've got. Look what I've done. 
why I've got this particular property, I got this particular house, uh, I'm really, uh, I'm filled with a lot of pride. Remind you of the rich man. Now whose shall these things be? This night your soul is going to be required of you. Now whose is these things going to be? It's only here for a little while. Let's not fall in love with property. Do not fall in love with possessions. Love God supremely. Have a respect for what you have, why you've earned it. God has blessed you with it. Use it properly. Use it respectfully. Use it in the right way. But at the same time, don't fall in love with it. Because wing, riches have wings. They will fly away. Sometimes pride is manifest in the sense of social climb and social standing. And sometimes we can see a person that's filled with a lot of pride, they have their nose in the air because of the class that they're in, the role, the culture that they have, the type of bearing that they conduct themselves certainly shows, well, you know, I'm of a certain class. I'm society type person here. Um, I really have achieved because I know a lot of important people. And I could name a lot of important people, and, and I'm part of that crowd, you know. I'm, imp- I'm part of the socially important crowd here. And everybody has those cultural type of uh, mores whereby one thinks of themselves more highly than they ought to think, and they think of themselves in that particular regard. It reminds me of Job. Old Job. Job was the richest of all men in the East, and look what he lost. He lost everything. Well, the people respected Job. He had all of that, that social standing, that particular matter. Though Job was a righteous man, and God said that he was a righteous man. And God allowed Satan to take all that he had. He took his family away, took his riches away, took his health away. He was on a razor's edge between life and death, and he was hanging on to life. And the suffering that we read of from that great Old Testament book tells us how brief life can be and how such a reversal can be in life. And Don't be filled with pride because it can be here one day and gone the next, socially speaking. Sometimes people can be proud of their race. You know, the Nazis, they had it all wrong. They just had it all wrong. And the racial attitude that they had was sinful. But let me tell you something. The racial attitude the New Testament Jews had toward the Gentiles was sinful. The racial attitude the New Testament Jews had toward the Samaritans was sinful. The racial attitude that the Greeks had toward pagans and barbarians of their day was sinful. Paul would make reference to the matter in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. The power of the gospel is to save all men. I'm indebted to all men because of the gospel, he says. There's a wonderful theme-type passage that comes from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, and the verse, verse 16, verse 17, talking about God's saving message is for everyone. And let me tell you something about this. There is no pure race of people. It's not there. It's not out there. There is no pure race of this, no pure race of that. There never has been. We're all children of God. We all go back to Adam and Eve. We all make the same mistakes. It doesn't matter what race we are. The Bible does not care. 
In Galatians chapter 3, all men everywhere need to repent and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter where you are, man, woman, boy, girl, of age of accountability, black or white, male or female, it doesn't matter. God wants you to obey the gospel. That's what matters. It doesn't matter whether you're a white man, a black man, a yellow man, a red man, it doesn't matter. Sometimes people are proud of their race. It's not a matter of race. It's a matter of doing the will of God. It's a matter of character. What kind of person am I going to be? Children need to understand this. Children need to be taught how important it is to be obedient to the will of God and not so matter of a pride of race. When we look at a person, we don't see a black man. We don't see a white man. We don't see a red man. We, don't see, we see a person. That's all we see. Someone created in the image of God who has an eternal soul. This racist type attitude is a sinful attitude because it is a sin of pride. Don't get caught up as it manifests itself in that way. Sometimes I see these discussions on television and the news and I start barking at the television set and I say, can't you see the mistake that you're making? It's not a matter of race. It's a matter of character. It's a matter of what a person does and does not do. That's what counts with regard to God. Sometimes pride can be manifested from a place. Well, uh, we're proud because we're from this place, or we're proud because we're from that place. Oh, third John, verse 9, verse 10. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Now there's a man who was filled with pride, pride of place. Look who I am. Look how important I am. Sometimes we have pride of face. We're more concerned about what our face looks like than what our heart is like. We're more concerned about what we look like on the outside than what we are like on the inside. We're more concerned about the face, the physical. There's a place for that. There's a good place whereby we're concerned about our demeanor. We're concerned about our bearing, our looks. There's a dignity to be had there with regard to taking care of the body, a gift from God, but not to be filled with such pride that that's all I focus on. What do I look like? What clothes do I wear? It's important to wear proper clothing. The Bible teaches that. But I'm not to focus on that as the pride of my life. I'm to wear modest clothing, 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 and 10. I made a mistake Monday. Went to the... Um, tire store to have tires rotated on the car. Went to a place to get a cup of coffee. I knew I shouldn't have gone in there. That's a political statement that I'm not going to make here. But I don't like that story. I don't know why I went in there. But the immodest clothing I saw coming and going out of that place. Don't be filled with such pride. Have a modesty about yourself and your bearing and your clothing, whereby we let people know 
this is a Christian by the way they live and the way they dress. The mistake I'm talking about is going into that place that I have such a political grievance with, but I'm not going to mention that. But I think about, don't fall victim to the way the world dresses. Don't think that way. And I cannot explain to you and I cannot express some of the clothing that I saw that day while I was drinking coffee, waiting on my car tires to be rotated. But I'm not going back there. I'm not going back there. There is a pride of sin. Listen to me now. Some people are proud of the sins they commit. Some people parade themselves even on television and newsreels about how they look. And they're proud of that. They're proud of the sins which they're committed. There's a type of pride where people want to show how sinful I am. And I'm in your face about it. And I'm going to be the kind of person that's guilty of sin. And I don't care what you think of. They have a pride about their sinful life. The Bible is teaching and condemning that particular behavior. It will condemn us. Pride. The sin of pride and how to overcome it. And we overcome it by our continual study of the Word of God. We overcome it by our continual focus on Jesus as our example. We're going to overcome it by continually evaluating ourselves to see where we are and where we are not. And the thing that I need to do to improve my life and to improve the way I live as far as a Christian is concerned. I wanted to talk to you today about pride. And I wanted to talk to you today about living the Christian life in a world that is filled with pride, world filled with sin. But we make a stand against that. We say, no, I will live like Jesus. I will not live like this world. And I will do my very best to eliminate pride from my life, the bad kind. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, I encourage you to do it today. I'm very grateful for the attentiveness that this audience gives me every time that I stand before you. Very grateful for the privilege to be able to stand before you and to discuss the unsearchable riches of Christ and to extend once again this wonderful gospel whereby I can repent of my sins, confess my faith in Christ, be baptized, immerse for the remission of sins. Acts 2 verse 38, to be added to the church of the living God, the church shed based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus as the king of his church, not a denominational body, but a church you read about in the New Testament. You can be a part of that in living the Christian life today. Get started with that. We're here to help you. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.